Hello and welcome to Intelligence Talks. I'm Liam Bailey. I'm Head of Research at Knight Frank. I'm delighted to introduce a special Christmas edition to close this year's podcast series. I'm joined by a panel of our leading researchers who are going to deliver us a packed 15 minutes of festive property insights. I have two questions for the team. Firstly, what is the biggest risk they're watching for in 2023? And then what's the biggest opportunity they think investors should be thinking about during the next 12 months? So to start us off, Flora, why don't you give us the big picture? What are you focusing on for the next year? The biggest opportunity and risk both come from inflation because the path of this ultimately will determine how high interest rates go and how long they stay at that peak level. We've seen some compelling evidence that potentially the peak inflation is behind us. US headline inflation has been falling since June, um, even more markedly so in the durable goods sector, which was that very much transitory debate. And now we've seen that the UK's headline rate has fallen back in November from a high in October. Other indications such as global supply chain pressures having eased could further add to that alleviation and we see inflation continue to fall. And what this means is that the markets could be very much right and that central banks reach their peak rates in early 2023 and take a pause. So what we're potentially seeing around consensus is the Bank of England maybe at 4, 4.25%, the Federal Reserve around 5% and the European Central Bank at around 3% as a peak rate. And what the current expectation is, is, or pricing in markets, is that by the end of 2023 or early 2024, we'll see those central banks turn to cuts to help boost economic activity. The biggest risks, however, is that inflation doesn't subside to the levels that they deem necessary to begin those cuts or to indeed take the foot off the accelerator and actually pause in their rate hiking cycle. It could pick up because of second round wage effects or geopolitical shocks or the bounce back in activity from the reopening of the Chinese mainland. So what we've seen this year is that central banks are committed to taming inflation. So if it doesn't come to the levels they need to see it at, or it potentially starts to pick up again, we could see rates go higher and stay there for much longer. Thank you, Flora. Let's move on and look at specific property sectors now by looking at the world's residential markets. Uh, Kate, what do you think investors should be thinking about next year and where, where's the opportunities and where's the risks that they should be focused on? So the biggest risk for global residential investors, I think, comes in the form of interest rate rises, which might not be that surprising. We conducted two surveys last month, one of our global research network and one of high net worth individuals around the world. Both considered that rate hikes pose the biggest risk to their global property markets. That said, there are some markets, Japan and Switzerland amongst them, where rates aren't forecasted to rise. So they're going to remain the same. And they may, as a result, see some sort of capital inflows as a result. Um, But if I'm allowed a second risk, I'd probably say higher taxes. Just in the last few months, we have seen Los Angeles has imposed a mansion tax. Spain has introduced a temporary wealth tax. Plus, we've got land taxes going up for foreign buyers in parts of Australia. So all this, I think, hints at a new phase of higher taxes, particularly targeting the luxury end of the property market, and also overseas buyers. So we'll be keeping a really close eye on the key announcements in 2023. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Kate. So interest rate rises and tax rises on the agenda. And in terms of positives, uh, opportunities for next year? So I think it depends on the location. So for first tier global cities such as London and New York, our research team consider that 
safe haven capital flight could act as a, a key opportunity, mirroring what we saw back in 2008. But for some cities, it's probably going to be more focused on infrastructure investment. So places like Paris, where we've got the biggest transport infrastructure scheme coming on on board in Europe, um, and that's going to deliver something like 72 new stations, and that's going to be a big driver of growth. And then for European and maybe some UK cities as well, then the currency play, although not as big a factor as this year, it's still likely to remain an opportunity, particularly for US-denominated buyers or US dollar pegged currencies. So they're the key ones, I'd say, from a sort of global property market perspective. Perfect. Thank you very much, Kate. Tom, let's let's drill down to the UK. What are you positive about uh, and what are you most concerned about for the UK market next year? Thanks, Liam. Well, let me start with the negatives. I mean, I think the biggest risk, as I see it on the horizon, is the reality check that the, that the UK housing market could face next year. I think at the moment we're in a slightly almost like a parallel universe where we've got the base rate rising, mortgage rates are falling. I think the market in general is just left slightly dazed and confused by the mini budget. But actually come next spring, I think all of that is probably going to have worked its way through the system. The spring selling season is going to get underway. New mortgage rates are going to be 200, 250 basis points higher than they were this year. And I think that could be the reality check. That's you know when the price expectations of sellers are really going to be properly put to the test. Uh, and that's when price declines could become more widespread. Transaction volumes could start to fall. Notably, when we kind of come out of this, uh, I don't know what you call it, I'm stupid, that we've been in for the last few months. I think that that's the biggest risk facing the market, as well as the fact that the general election will start to study creep onto the radar a little bit as well. In terms of positives, um, I think coming out of that, if you're a tenant at the moment, life's pretty tricky. Rents are rising so quickly as they have been. I think what you could start to see is more so-called accidental landlords coming across from the sales market. So you put your house on the market in March, you encounter the sorts of conditions that I described with sort of completely different lending landscape that we that we were used to, uh, and you might see more owners decide that actually they're going to sit things out and put their property on the market to, to let for sort of 12 to 18 months. So you could see lettings volumes start to increase, downwards pressure on rents and life get a little bit easier for tenants because they've had a pretty torrid time for over the last year or two. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Tom. Ollie, let's let's take the temperature of the residential development sector. What will be making builders and funders nervous next year? And then what do you think they'll be looking forward to? Well, to echo what Tom has already said, I think a key challenge for the new homes and the development market next year is going to centre around affordability and an an expectation that that sales rates are going to slow next year because of those wider concerns around the economy, because of those wider concerns around the cost of living. It's something we're we're already seeing from the the listed house builders flagging that slowdown in in sales rates in in their recent commentary to the market. But equally, at the the same time, I do think that does create opportunities. We've seen start volumes fall in, in recent years. We've seen fewer consents being granted. So actually... A lot of the stuff which is being built now is being built into what is a very supply-constrained market. And we are still seeing demand from buyers for the right product at the right price. Um, And then there's also opportunities to look at alternative routes to market. So um, alternative tenures, so build to rent, seniors housing, affordable housing. There's still a huge amount of capital looking at those sectors. And, you know, there are still a lot of demand from from tenants and, and other end users. So those are going to be markets where we think there's going to be a lot of opportunity, a lot of potential for partnerships, for joint ventures, for forward funds 
conference next year. And that's going to be something which is going to help developers to de-risk sites. It's going to help them bring in cash. Thank you, Ollie. Lots of positives there for the development sector. Let's move away from the housing sector now. Turn to you, Andrew. And do you want to guide us through what you're looking forward to and what you're concerned about for the year ahead for the farmland and agricultural sectors? I mean, in terms of pricing, I'm pretty optimistic about agricultural land values next year. The imbalance between supply and demand is set to continue. There's not actually that much farmland coming up for sale, but there's plenty of people who would like to buy it. We're seeing an increasing number of environmentally minded buyers who want to buy land for investment, say they'd like to capitalise on carbon credits or they've got a more altruistic view. They want to rewild their land because they believe in um, boosting biodiversity. So I think the market is pretty much set fair in the short term. But the, um, the challenge is probably a little bit more existential. What we're seeing at the moment is an increasingly polarised debate about land use in the UK, whether land should be used for food production, whether it should be used for biodiversity, or whether it should be used for renewable energy. But at the moment, the government really doesn't have a coherent strategy around what the countryside should be used for. So there's a bit of a policy vacuum at the moment that landowners and farmers are having to to cope with. I mean, I suppose you controversially you could say that the biggest challenge is that um, people are waiting for the government to have a coherent policy, which actually may may probably not happen. So you've got to be a little bit more proactive. And for those who are proactive, I think there's a lot of opportunities at the moment around natural capital. There's billions of pounds worth of funds queuing up to um, help mitigate climate change and help us hit net zero by investing into um, carbon mitigation funds or biodiversity um, offsetting schemes. So there's there's real scope for um, extra income streams to be generated by farmers and landowners. So if you're forward thinking and innovative, it's it's a good time to own UK land. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Andrew. Lots of positives there for the agricultural sector. Okay, Lee, let's move on to look at the office market. You've been tracking the return to the office since the peak of work from home during the pandemic. What are you looking forward to next year? 2023 is an opportunity for office investors to get closer to the customer and focus more intently on the operational and service layer of of office buildings. These softer aspects of real estate connect people to property. Investors are no longer simply in the business of delivering first-class work environments, but must also present a more compelling workplace experience to their customers. A huge challenge, no doubt, but also a great opportunity to differentiate in the year ahead. A big risk for office investors in 2023 is a misreading of the intentions of the occupier. The year ahead will represent a tipping point for occupiers who will need to be braver about their preferred work styles and the quantum and quality of space they will need. Prevailing economic conditions will demand action. Look out for strong signals about the direction of travel in the occupational markets in the early months of 2023. Thank you, Lee. Insightful as always. Finally, Stephen, retail, a market that's been at the forefront of market disruption. Is 2023 a year of more of the same or can you see opportunities ahead? From a retail perspective, what I'm going to say is probably going to go against the wider grain. I think the biggest risks investors face in 2023 is making a not great situation worse by not seeing the bigger picture. So basically making something worse than it actually is. I'll qualify that. Are we going into recession? Yes. Is recession good for retail? Of course it isn't. But I think there's a danger that investors just blindly assume that retail will follow the same path as in previous recessions. 
in very broad terms, a massive consumer meltdown, loads of retailer failures, an occupied bloodbath, if you will, and massive falls in retail property rents and capital values. I'm not saying things are going to be easy for the retail sector, but there's a whole host of reasons to believe things might play out a bit differently this time around. Firstly, the consumer picture is actually very complex rather than cataclysmically bad. High inflation is currently driving a massive wedge between retail sales values and retail sales volumes. Volumes representing real growth, values total market growth. Retail sales volumes are negative and will remain that way until this time next year. But values are still positive. Um, we're growing around 2 to 3% per month and we predict growth of around 4% for next year as a whole. So in layman's terms, we're buying less but spending more. I'm not saying that's ideal, but it's a lot better than a scenario whereby we're buying less and spending less, which I'm pretty confident we're not going to see. Secondly, I don't think we're going to see the massive retail occupier bloodbath that we've seen in previous recessions for the very simple reason that the wheat has already been separated from the chaff and less sustainable operators have already fallen by the wayside during the pandemic. And the residual competitor set is in far better shape operationally and financially than it was coming into previous recessions. Yes, there will be some occupier distress and a degree of fallout, but it'll be pretty minor on the Richter scale. Ironically, we like to see much more distress in the online pure play arena than we will in the store-based stroke multi-channel space. A number of the online players are going to be found out in this market. Thirdly, retail property markets have spent the last five years or longer rebasing, so they are relatively right priced already. Yes, there'll be some inevitable downwards pressure, but any correction we're seeing is likely to be fairly short and swift. In fact, you could legitimately argue it's happened already over the last couple of months. So to go back to the original question, the risk is that investors get too caught up in making textbook assumptions around recession and ignore market reality. The big opportunity from a retail perspective is to be brave. We all know that pricing tends to be pretty blanket in retail real estate without much distinction between good and bad assets. And obviously, investor herding mentality tends to intensify in times of crisis. But on a retail side, there's got to be considerable counter-cyclical buying opportunities in this market. The trick, as always, is stock selection, understanding the dynamics of any given asset and looking for mispricing. Kit that's maybe unfairly tied with a generic brush. It sounds simple, and frankly it is, but it still needs saying. Thank you very much, Stephen. That neatly brings us to a close for this episode and actually also for this season. I want to thank all of my contributors from today's podcast and for all those contributors from all of our episodes from this series. Whatever 2023 holds in store for you, our listeners, I want to wish you all a Merry Christmas and a very happy New Year. And it just leaves me to remind you all that for more analysis, you can subscribe to our research note that goes out each Monday, Wednesday and Friday or any one of our dedicated sector-focused newsletters and see our show notes for more details. And please subscribe to Intelligence Talks wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you very much for listening to this week's episode.